Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Romans 12, verse 9. Love not the sincere. If what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Cheer with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads for quick word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your loving kindness and for your grace towards us and guiding us from everywhere around the city of Lagos today to come and worship your name. We thank you for this grace that binds us as a community and it helps us to look up to you and be shaped by you. We pray for um, worship of your name and the study of the word this morning that you will speak to every heart that in front of that. Your words will come clearly and will come with power and with deep conviction. And that every heart that is here will be willing and joyful and happy and will be submissive and will joyfully seek to obey your word. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Our text today, uh, the Bible reading from Romans chapter 12, uh, tells us about uh, how we can live, or how the church is meant to live as a community, given all the different things that we face. Now, if you look around you, if you live in this city, uh, even though we're all we're in Nigeria, you know, so we're all sort of all black mostly, right? So we all sort of look alike, right, to some other countries. But we're very different, right? If you look around you, whether in your place of work, whether in the church, or anywhere, you know, yeah, we're different, right? We look different, we talk differently, um, we believe different things. Right? Sometimes we have some things in common, but we believe a lot of different things. And we have different personalities, right? Personalities and we have different characters, right? So, one of the aspects difference between personality and character. 
So your personality is how you engage with the world, right? How you how people see you express yourself uh, to the world. So you can be a jovial person, happy guy, you know, and you can be a very sort of uh, internal person, don't talk much, right? Um, and your character is something very, very different, right? Your character has to do with some of how your own morality, your own conscience, and all that has shaped the way you make decisions or you take decisions. So you can have very, very bad characters with right? I have very, very, you know, our not so friendly personality and their character are essentially good. They just don't express themselves um, very well. Right? And, um, you know, and so they're introverts, they're extroverts, and when it comes to temperaments, I remember a book that came out is it in the 90s. I read it in the 90s. I'm not sure it came out in the 90s. Yes, I used to read it in the 90s. Um, you know, uh, it was called Spirit Controlled Temperament by Tim LaHaye. And that book was famous and it spread like wildfire. And it was a wonderful book, but a lot of people sort of misunderstood the message. And he essentially said that the book especially expresses four different types of personalities, or four different types of temperaments, and how they express themselves um, in the world. And uh, he gave, and they were on two different axes, you can call some introverts, you can call some extroverts. But the first one uh, that I remember was something called uh, Sanguine. Uh, it was one of the, uh, was one of the temperaments. Sanguine is someone who is optimistic, who is social, um, easy to get along with. There was one called uh, Choleric. It's a short-tempered, irritable, you don't really want to be around the guy when his fuse is going off, right? You know, he's just abrasive kind of fellow. Uh, the third one uh, he called uh, Melancholic, which is someone that is quiet, uh, very analytical, very, you know, internal, lives inside his, uh, his or her own head. And then there's the phlegmatic kind of guy who is like relaxed, is peaceful, easygoing, right? And you, you notice the first two people sort of fall in the general bucket of what you call extroverts, and the last two fall into what you call uh, uh, introverted character uh, or temperament. And so, you know, and the goal of Tim LaHaye's book was to say, that we all generally, not everyone fits neatly into these categories, we all generally fits into one of these uh, four categories, but that when we encounter the gospel, when we encounter God and God does his work of sanctification in us, that he shapes us in such a way that uh, in spite of what kind of temperament you might have, you know, come with your DNA or with your upbringing and all that, it will be shaped by God in such a way that it will glorify him. So if you were called to be an evangelist, for example, in the kingdom of God, um, and you said, I'm, I'm an introvert, like, who said that? Who can remember somebody in the Bible who said that? Moses, like, I mean, I can't speak. My brother, the guy can't talk. You talk your head out, right? I can't speak. In the gospel, God will shape and fashion you in such a way that you will be able to share uh, the word of God. You will able to share your faith. You will be able to do the work of an evangelist even in your quiet ways. And perhaps at the end of your life, you will not be as quiet as you started out. Can anybody relate with that? Okay, good. And the same way if you are, if you are an abrasive kind of guy, you are, you are irritable, you are short-tempered, um, you, you know, when the gospel shapes you as, as the Holy Spirit fashions you and transforms you and conforms you to the image of Christ, uh, perhaps your fuse will get much longer and the way in which you engage with people will not be as abrasive. Instead, what happened is, people saw that book and said, ah, 
I am a choleric. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it explains the reason why I don't like all of you. <laughs> the reason why we fight all the time. It's, it's just the way it is. It's just the way I'm born. You know, it's, you know, and, and people use that as an excuse to sit, right, and be comfortable exactly where um, where they were. And everybody, someone would say, uh, I'm melancholic, you know, I'm melancholic. I can't be expected to come to the front of the church and take a Bible reading. You know, come on, pray in front of us. Even if it's a small group, pray. Ah, no, you know, you know I, I, I can't do that kind of thing. Right? But the whole goal, and I remember very clearly, um, because the book was a blessing to me, that the whole goal of that book was to tell you to submit yourself to God and His Holy Spirit and that He will shape you and gospel will shape you so that increasingly you will be the kind of person that God wants to be. And at the end of your life, people may not even be able to recognize that you started out at whichever part or whichever end of the spectrum uh, because God has done His work in you. Right? And then, of course, the funny thing is that for those who are a phlegmatic person who is naturally quiet, can then look at someone who is sort of irritable or you know, maybe who's social, who's engaged, and begins to feel a bit superior. This guy is just in everybody's faces, all over the place, right? And he thinks that, he may think that his peacefulness is a fruit of the spirit, right? So we sometimes take the good parts of our temperament, of our personality, uh, that came to us naturally, we had nothing to do with it, or maybe our upbringing shaped us. And we hold that as a fruit of the spirit. And anybody who doesn't have the same temperament as us is sort of outside of the will of God. Right? So, but that's, uh, so Romans chapter 12 tells us how we are meant to engage with one another, how the love of God makes a difference in the practice of our faith. So, the whole general structure of the book of Romans. Very heavy on theology in the first, uh, uh, yeah, first eleven chapters. It talks about first of all, it tries to lay out the fact that all of us are sinful. All of us. It starts with the Jews who are close to God or who are close to God under the Old Testament, and continues with the Gentiles. Comes that concludes that all of us are born under sin and need the Savior. It then talks about how faith saves us and how uh, uh, God in Christ uh, reconciled us uh, to Him. In six, seven, it talks about the weight of sin, how to continue uh, fight with sin, how, how sin fights back, and tries to encourage us in chapter eight uh, about the presence of the Spirit in our lives and how we have the victory over sin, how the Spirit helps us uh, to not submit our members to the instruments of sin and unrighteousness, and how instead, if we set our minds on uh, on, on God, um, He will shape us. And then from chapter 12 that we're reading, especially if you look at verse 1 and 2, it then talks about um, uh, how we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable act of God. It is what is expected of you. It is what is reasonable. And the funny thing is that in, in the Greek, the translators of Greek, don't, they, they, they've not decided whether the word means spiritual or reasonable. Right, so some of you will see your translations, you say your spiritual act of worship, some translations say your reasonable act of worship, and it's, it baffles everyone. Right, yeah, it looks like this, it looks like that. So, spirituality, our offering up our bodies as living sacrifices, our desires to be conformed to the image of God, is reasonable, it is spiritual. And the reason why we want to be conformed, or part of how we show or express that conformity, is how we interact with ourselves as the body of Christ. You know, God, when somebody says, I love God, what did John say about those of you who say you love God, but you don't express love to your neighbor that, is God here? How do you show love for God? 
Right? And it reminds me of the joke about when uh, somebody was trying to raise an offering in church and says, Give to God. You know, when you're young, Dao, 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 it was Ilya Well, that's even better. Ilya Lorong is the house of God. So that's even a bit more honest. So somebody said, Give to God, give to God. And the person said, Okay, don't worry, I'll give to God. And I'll, I'll go to my house, I'll take my money, I will throw it up. The one that belongs to God, God will catch. <laughs> the one that belongs to me, when the one that falls back down, belongs to me, and that's how he avoided giving. Uh, and what he was essentially saying was that there needs to be a bit of honesty when we talk about giving to God. It's actually given to the church, or it's given to a cause, for the sake of God, in the name of God, or for the sake of Christ, for the work of the Lord. Same way, same principle applies to love, right? We talk about love for God, love for God, and yes, while there is a state in which the heart of a man or woman is disposed, is predisposed to obeying God out of gratitude, out of love. That actual uh, proof of that love that you have for the God that we do not see is actually found in how we uh, express our love to uh, one another, to the human beings around us in community. So I don't know uh, if you read last week when we took the Nicene Creed uh, about you know God, uh, uh, the section on God the Father, a section of the work of the Son, and a section on the work of the Spirit. In Genesis 1, uh, 26-27, when it talks about the story of creation, we see God existing as a community. Right? If you know the doctrine of Trinity or you've heard about it, you may not understand it, but uh, don't let that trip you up right now. But the Bible gives us a doctrine that talks about God existing as three persons, right? And in, in, in the story of creation, uh, the words that we use is let us, let us create, let us make man in our image. So the Bible shows us that God Himself is a community of three persons, a community in which among with all the other uh, characters and attributes of God, uh, his eternal state, his, his infiniteness, his righteousness, his uh, justice, his sovereignty, and all that, he says he's God of love, right? And that love, that essence, that attribute of love exists between one another, one another. And God expresses perfect love with one another. And the creation of man is an expression of that creation. And when he created us, he created us, the Bible says, in his own image. In his own image and in his own um, likeness. And therefore, if you find yourself uh, sort of having this deep-seated need to be with someone or to be with people, it's not strange at all. We were created, right, to be in community. Even though we fell and uh, man's God's image in us is broken, we still have this deep longing to belong, to be accepted, to, to, to connect. With people, even the introverts, right? When we talk about introvert and extrovert, it's not like people mistaking those definitions and say, oh, the extrovert loves to be with people, but the introverts love to be with themselves. And that's not actually correct, right? The introvert likes or loves to engage. So the extrovert is clear, right? You see them, they're bubbly, they like people, they like being around people. The difference with the introvert is that it's not that the introvert doesn't like to be with people, they love to be with people, they enjoy, right, coming out and being with people. However, those interactions drain them eventually. You know, after a while of maybe a day, it could be a week, it could be an hour or two, they're just drained and they would like to go back and be by themselves and recharge. And they can stay, you know, a day, it could be a week, it could be more, uh, in their own thing, thinking through life, thinking through what happened at the party, at the meeting, at work, analyzing things, 
trying to figure out who said what to when and how this person comes across and if somebody's dissing them or not, if they're still in French. And they analyze all these things, right? And until they get to a place where they're settled and comfortable with those interactions, right? And they're recharging, they have strength again. Then they want to go out again, right? And engage. And the problem with the sort of introvert who then therefore decides to have longer periods by themselves is that the interaction with those communities, right, drains them too much and they can't deal with the things. In essence, in other words, the sinfulness, man's sinfulness, man's brokenness, right, and the way in which we fail uh, to do right by each other when we engage is actually a source of some people withdrawing and just don't know how to deal with it. Right? Now, it's easy to conclude that the extroverts are the people who are afflicting the introverts, but that's not true, right? <laughs> that's not true at all. Uh, even, even, the, even the sensitive introvert uh, sometimes can be insensitive, can be judgmental, can be anything, can be, I mean, they award them some category of sins and not award the other, right? Everybody is sort of in that broken state. But within, with the introvert, they know clearly that they don't know how to deal with the sins of the world, or the sins of their friends, or the interactions they have with family or church members, and so they've chosen to not engage. They choose to more frequently be by themselves. Some introverts who are meant to deal with it still need time to recharge, but you know, very often they will come back, enjoy, enjoy community, and go back. But if you ask them to have make a long-term commitment to community or make a long-term engagement, like just organize a three-day retreat with the church, they're like, ah. I love my job, but how um, much I can I can do with three days of, or maybe even with their families, right? Yes, not nuclear family. Everybody loves their daughter, child, and wife. I hope, right? <laughs> but extended families. So I say, but I have an extended family. We're going to, I don't know, for holiday. We're going to be there for a week, and then you are just dreading. For some people, it's their in-laws. So it's not your sister, brother, it's the in-laws. Oh my goodness, they're just going to, I don't know, I'm going to. Especially if you've been keeping up with tenses and faking it, right? <laughs> yeah, those of us who were at uh, uh, the gospel, uh, 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 the community groups or the gospel community meetings this week, we talked about certain things and how we interact and minimize it. So if, you, if you've been faking it with your in-laws, you can't spend an extended time with them. Right? Because eventually somebody will know you don't like their guts. Somebody will know that you are very rude. Right? And all the things that are wrong with us just comes out at those moments. Right? But as God's image bearers, we do need community. We do need to connect. And for a lot of people in their adult ages, in their adult lives, the reason why they don't engage is because it's not because they don't want to engage, it's because they've been rejected. Right? So, some people have bad experiences in terms of uh, sinful activity against them. For some people, they did just were not let into all the groups that they wanted to uh, uh, be a part of. So I remember growing up, uh, we had some family friends. And there's one particular family that everybody wanted to go and do sleepover in their house. Everyone wanted to go and do sleepover in their house. And um, I mean, yeah, did sleepover, it was fun. Their, their father was a pilot. And they had all these Tom and Jerry movies and cartoons. And we would just spend the day just watching and, and eating and, and all that stuff. And of course, the mark of friend, true friendship is, is if when you ask people and someone's like, what do you expect? They would come and sleep in your own house. And you know, as a seven or eight year old, or maybe nine year old, you know, we say, you know, when are you guys going to come and 
you know, and they said, oh, we can't come now. And so he sort of accepted. And then two weeks later, he found out that they went to therapist. So I'm like, ah, I'm never going to sleep over in their house anymore. Right? So, so I've been checking for a long time. And then maybe a year or two passed. And by some miracle, they came over and slept at the house. And all was forgiven. But I held a grudge for almost two years. Right? <laughs> I don't do that anymore, all right? Yes. <laughs> I think I will do that test. But yeah, so so some of us it's rejection that causes us to sort of put up a brick wall and refuse to engage and refuse to really uh, uh, engage with our community. Some of us it's uh, uh, bad treatment and it's impact of sleep. Right? But we understand that as believers, we are part of God's story. So even though we fell, man fell, and this uh, image that God had placed us was, was broken, and the interactions in community was, became fraught with sinfulness and offenses, and rejection and hurt and pain, and all of those things. From what we've heard in the last month or so, we, we understand that we've become part of God's story. So from creation, fall, now we're in the period, where we, we're in the period of redemption. God is calling out people reconciling them to Jesus Christ and he is beginning to shape their hearts and their minds and preparing them for a time, a future time where sin will be absent, um, all things will be renewed. But meanwhile, in the moment, uh, meanwhile, we are still here in the flesh. We've entered God's story, we've learned that we have received a change status, justification, we've received a new life, regeneration. I'm just trying to go through a reminder of uh, those who want to know what we've been treating. We've received a new hope, uh, talking about well, future redemption and eternal life. Um, and we've learned hopefully that the power of the gospel doesn't just save us. It's also meant to shape us. It's also meant to, it's not just something that brings us into an entrance to God, but also helps us as we continue to relate to God. Uh, the gospel that saves us, sanctifies us, the spirit that gives us new life also empowers us, right, to obey God and to to make things right. Let me put it that way. The hope that anchors our soul uh, also motivates us to commit our bodies and present it as a living sacrifice. I'm talking about a motivation, for example. Why would you now decide, okay, I'm in a community of loved ones, beloved of the Lord, I belong to the church of God, not just city church, but also the larger universal church, uh, the universal Catholic church, and we are being asked in Romans chapter 12 to live and engage in a certain way. I'll go through some of those things in a moment. So what, what is sort of, what is my motivation for going through all of that? It's because I'm part of God's story. It's because I've been, uh, like I said, given a new status, but I'm also being empowered uh, by God's Holy Spirit, God's Holy Presence. We have been baptized into the body of Christ. I identify, or I should identify, right? Many people have, but many people still think maybe, you know, but we should identify with uh, the reality of being of being uh, placed into the body of Christ and being restored into God's image. And the hope is that our experience of community will begin to change, will be radically different if each and every one of us, right? So in trying to shape a church or fashion a community of love, a community that um, expresses the heart of God, it has to be individual responsibility. So each one of us will decide that um, I will be shaped and these are the things that I hope will shape me. But also as a church, we then encourage one another 
to, uh, as I say, one another one. We encourage our, our, ourselves in different facets of our lives to think less of ourselves and to engage more with people. And uh, part of the reason why we want people to join those um, gospel communities is that part of what we do there is, like they say, is we do life together. We are able to explore what it means to be a believer in this modern age, to be a believer in this city with all of its challenges, to be a believer amongst people that are as flawed as you are, people that are very, very different from you. Uh, so, as opposed to a life with angst and pain and regret, um, we will hopefully work together to fashion a community where we actually want to be with people. So, even if you are born an introvert or your experience has been as an introvert, you will look forward to the time when it's time to go to church. You look forward to the time where uh, the, the community group is, uh, community groups are meeting. You look forward to a time where if you're invited to someone's house and you sort of know a number of people there that maybe you've not got along with in the past, you will say, hey, you know, this may be a great opportunity to reform and refashion my relationships with perhaps these people that haven't been so good in the past. So do we want that kind of community? Do we want that experience? Yes. Do we really desire to have that? Yeah. Well, like the great cyborg in the sky, that great betrayer of Skynet and savior of Sarah Connor said, <laughs> come with me if you want to live. All right, so open to Romans chapter 12 if you're not there. And let's look at what a community of believers look like. Now, in Acts chapter 2, still talking a bit about diversity, in Acts chapter 2, um, because we've seen this done before, we've seen this happen before, just in case you talk about so many things, and this kind of like an impossible task. You know what I've been through? Uh, not just personal life, you know how many churches I've been a part of and how they failed me multiple times? Do you know how many communities I've embedded myself, engaged, and given my all, and each time, you know, it was just completely disastrous, and you know, those, uh, like, I don't think it can be done. So in Acts chapter 2, where we read of, of the story of um, of, uh, of, of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit baptizing the church, and people spoke in tongues. Uh, did you count how many languages were listed? When people said, oh, these people are drunk, these people are drunk, and um, and Peter came up to defend, uh, to defend what was going on and said, no, this is not new one, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, so the, the, the passage talks about all the different languages there are, you know, there are about maybe Actually, ten languages that were described uh, that 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 people from uh, the Jews in diaspora who came to Jerusalem for the Passover or for the festival heard, and a lot of them were saved and they came to the church. The point is that the church was made up. We we we, we think about the apostolic church or the early church as made up of only Jews, don't we? We think that this is such a uniform group of people. They are Jews, they are worshipping according to the way of Abraham and Moses, and boom, they believed in Christ. And then, you know, this, this thing was, they were comfortable with each other. But that's not true. The languages are also representative of the different cultures in which they lived in, right? And so remember, if you, if you go back and read Acts chapter 2 and read all those languages, those languages represent not only how they spoke or what languages they spoke, but the other cultures. That, um, that they lived in, but they would come together. And they became Christians, they became believers, and um, this is uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, describes the experience of the Holy Church, of the early church, with all these diversities. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. If you read 41, it says, they were, sorry, let me just quote 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, as Peter's preaching that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. So 3,000 souls of different cultures. One religion, uh, Judaism, which is why they were in Jerusalem, one religion, and now 3,000 of those numbers have become uh, believers and they were in the church. And these 3,000, amongst, uh, together with the apostles and all those who were already in the church, the Bible says from 42, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we see that there were uh, diverse uh, ethnicities, uh, diverse upbringing, diverse uh, uh, religious expresses, much like the church today. Nigeria has about how many tribes? Two hundred fifty. Two hundred fifty. Even though we sort of divide ourselves into three major tribes and like six or seven minor ones, we're actually two hundred fifty tribes or two hundred fifty languages. And many of these people come. Many of us have come from those different backgrounds into the faith. And a lot of us here in City Church have come from different um, church uh, church backgrounds. Different styles of worship, different traditions, Pentecostal, Anglican, and all that stuff, right? And different modes of worship, from congregational worship to a charismatic, uh, free for all. And a few people here have been to uh, probably attended churches where, you know, lights off and uh, strobe lights, uh, what's that? Uh, almost that looks like a, like a club. What's that, what's that tradition called? You know, I'm looking at some people. Okay, right. So, so there, there, there are some modern churches that are a bit like nightclubs. You know, strobe lights. It's all dark. It's good, nice music, and that's. I know some people love it, right? And that's the tradition they're from. And so when you come and say sing congregational music, they're like, ah, I don't know what this is all about. But what forged this church in uh, in Acts? Uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So. The word of God, they allowed the word of God to shape them. They, the Bible talks about uh, the commands in the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So they devoted to the apostles' teaching, they fellowship with one another and broke bread. Now, you may say, is this fellowship and breaking of bread? Is this a result of them having love, or is this what caused them to have love? Both. Both actually. Both actually. The, the interaction with people, you cannot grow to love people unless you actually interact with people. And as you experience some of the brokenness we talk about, you're making adjustments, you're accommodating, you are, sometimes you're correcting, sometimes you're forgiving, sometimes you are you're not being forgiven, that kind of thing, and you're accepting that forgiveness. So both, the fellowship with one another and broke bread, they prayed together. And those are one of the things on some of the days in our community groups that we'll be doing, we'll be praying with one another. Uh, they always say, somebody says that you cannot pray for someone and hate them. 
Right? You cannot pray for someone, call them by name, and say, Lord, unless you are praying the kind of prayer that says, Lord, eh, eh, so that, you know, evil prayers of Lord destroy them, right? Uh, but I'm talking about upholding and wishing specific good things for them. It's very, very difficult. Uh, I know some of us are very skilled, we'll be able to do that, but it's generally speaking very, very difficult to pray for someone. And hate them. Or more importantly, it's, it's hard to pray for someone and not go closer to them. So, some of what we see may be as a result of not holding them up before God um, uh, on a consistent basis. And Bible says, as a result, there was power in every heart. The believers held their assets in common for their use. There was general sacrificial giving. Their lives were characterized by joy. Uh, there was public expression of praise of God. And they had favor with the public. You know the name Christian, Christian, you know, uh, what does Christian mean? Christ-like, by Christ, right? You know, you know that that's not a name we give to ourselves. That's not a name. It will, it will be, actually have been very, very pompous if the early church, you know, called themselves. I cannot see Peter say, what, what group is this? What man of speak? He says, we are Christ-like, right? It's, it's, it's a pompous thing for someone to call themselves a Christian. They didn't call themselves Christian. It was people. Look at Torah. The Bible says they had favor with the public. Later on, the Bible tells us in Antioch, when, in spite of the persecution, when people observed how the believers did life with one another and how they probably did not um, did not rebel against the government in spite of the persecution, they said, These guys, these guys, they feel like they're Christ. These guys are just like Christ. And they're my stock. What a wonderful name it is. Right? Christ time. And the point of this passage of scripture is to say that love has character. Love is not just a romantic ideal. Love is not just something we feel for one another, right? Love actually has a moral underpinning. It has a concept of, uh, first of all, a disposition of, of, of benevolence to someone, but also a decision to daily do good, to abstain from evil and to do good. So let's turn to chapter 12. Verse um, Romans chapter 12 that we're looking at, look at some of a couple of items. So in, in, in 12, 3 to 6, he had told them, he had told, or yeah, no, the Bible tells us, not them, um, yeah. the original audience, but he's speaking to us also. When people were given an admonition to have sober thinking, right, in chapter in verse 3 to 6, so that no one would think he was better off individually than the collective or than, than other people. So nobody think it was better, better than the other one. Now, uh, if you look at, uh, so I'll just read from, I'll read 3 to 6. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ. Look at chapter, uh, verse 4 starts with 4. Four is a connecting word, isn't it? Because, you know, so he says, don't think of yourself more, in verse three, he says, don't think of yourself higher than each other. And the reason why I'm asking for you to be humble, right, is because I want you to serve one another. It's because you are all different and I want you to serve one another. For as we have for for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one another. Having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, let us 
use them. So it says, you guys are all different, right? Different as, as we, we spoken about uh, in the early part, as individuals, uh, ethnicities, our backgrounds and all that. But he now talks about the giftings that God has placed in each and every one of us. We are different, we're members of the same body, but we all have, we're all different parts, right? And the goal of God is to have all these different gifts nourish and enrich and edify the church. So therefore, you need to be humble. And not think that, as an individual, you are better than the collective. There are many of us, including myself, who in my past thought that I really didn't need the church. Church was optional. If you stay in your room and you give yourself to the Word of God and you pray, you will grow. Abby, isn't it? You will learn about God. You will, you know, you will be powerful in the faith or whatever it is. And church was optional. So not just the introvert that thinks uh, 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 that has a tribulation about going to church or has some uh, uh, has reasons to not go to church. Even people who may be fine may think, but I'm okay by myself. I can do well by myself. But that's not the plan of God we see. The reason he asks for this humility is because we all have different gifts. We are then asked to use that gift to serve one another. And so, in verse nine to uh, in verse nine to twelve, we see I'll just highlight some of the different things that Paul asks us to uh, sort of take on. So, in verse nine, he says, "Let love be genuine," and the whole verse there is emphasizing honesty in our relationship. In our relationships, he asks us to eschew a, a pretense to love or a pretending, a faking kind of love, uh, especially for purposes that are selfish. And so a lot of people will engage in relationships in a selfish manner, either to use them, I don't know, for what? It may be emotional as a crutch, or all you're doing is taking and you're not making you, you're taking all that you can uh, from, uh, from, from other people. But it says, let love be genuine. It emphasizes our honesty. Um, and some of the marks of a bad relationship, or bad relationship is that there are people that you're afraid that will take too much of your time, some people, you are fearful that if you speak the truth, that you will offend them. And for some people, their the relationships are just filled with excessive drama. And so we become a bit dishonest in the way we engage with them. In verse 10, he asks us to love one another with brotherly affection. And here is uh, uh, emphasizing kindness of heart and humility, right? And uh, he's asking us to use the filter of family uh, to avoid, uh, to, use the, to use the filter of family in order to avoid all the complications that comes with all those relationships, you know, love one another uh, with brotherly affection. Because you understand that naturally we think of our brothers, like if you think about your natural family, we think of family as something that is special, right? You know, if sorry, your brother or your sister offends you, you sort of think to yourself, oh, you know, I can't run away from them. I'm going to see them at Christmas or Easter, New Year, or at the next birthday. You can't avoid them. So, so because you know you're going to, you can't get rid of them, right? Something binds you. Somehow you always find a way to do what? To end the argument, end the fights, to forgive. You always sort of find a way to manage. I mean, even if eventually it may be your parents, you can report to your parents, this person did something to me, Kevin did not, and then, you know, somebody said, it's what, but you, but you force the issue, you force some resolution, at least most people do. Right? You try and at least force a resolution of that issue. But with people that know your family, what do you do? You are dead to him. That kind of thing. You are you're like, I'm, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't need this. I, I don't need this drama. 
Wahuda's degrees. Ah, where did they tie us together? Where did we find? Is it not in this Lagos? Is it not work that just sort of banish the person? Is it not church? I beg. Right? With family, you force resolution and you find ways. As you know, you're going up, you're going up. But with people outside of family, you just sort of, you know, leave them. So he asks us to use the prism of family for our relationships in the community of believers and say, we're not going anywhere. We all belong to the same family of God. There is no way I can explain to God, your father, why I'm not talking to my brother or my sister. There's no way, there's no, there, will, there will be no way in which on Christmas day when we all go home and I'm sitting in front of my father and he'll say, why I did not cry? Why when my sister cried out for help? I refuse to engage with her or help her. There's, no, there's nothing, there's literally nothing I can come up with that our Heavenly Father will accept as a reason. And that's why he uses the prism of family. In verse 11, he asks us to be slothful, to not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. And then that talks about how he wants us to respond. Remember, he said serving the Lord. Again, we're talking about serving the Lord is actually serving the Lord is actually serving the body. Right? So he speaks about how he wants us to be responsive to one another. Right? And sometimes the reason why we don't we don't respond is laziness, comfort. It, it takes an effort to help one another, to love one another, to um, to respond to people's cry. Right? So if I have um, if that smart catches me on the road and they're harassing me and I call, where are my, where are my lawyer friends? And I call my lawyer friend and I say, something's happening, something's happening, something is happening, right? He may, if, if and it's going to be trouble, they're going to take me to court or they're going to tow my car. It does take a bit of sacrifice, right? For him to actually say, you know what, I'm going to be there. You know, you know, just hold them off or tell them you have a lawyer is coming and have to be there. Right? If my wife's car breaks down at where's that place? Hmm, let me think of somewhere. Um at the, you know, in Ikoi, for example. <laughs> right, okay, this is what you were at my house yesterday. <laughs> we don't get this joke. If my wife's car breaks down somewhere and she cannot and you know, and the car won't move, and she has no driver, and no way to help her. It may, it should be much of a sacrifice, really. But it does take some disengagement to leave my business meeting, right? And then turn to my car, come and help her, and she's rolling her eyes like that did not happen. The exact opposite of happened. Yes, it's true. <laughs> so those of you were not my friends yesterday. You can see this play out, right? It does take a bit of disengagement, and yes, helping one another, loving one another, re- requires a bit of discomfort, a bit of discomfort. It requires a bit of quick estimation of what I'm doing right, the relationships I'm doing right now. If I have to take it, if, I, if, my, if, if my daughter falls ill, for example, it's almost immediate because of the urgency of the situation. I'll tell my boss, I need to be somewhere. My, they say my daughter is falling ill, there's no way to help her. I need there now, now, now. In other words, I quickly weigh those relationships and I, I disengage from one in order to do the other. And we have to intentionally do that in our relationships. When, we, when people cry to us for help or when we're in a position to uh, assist, we actually need to understand that um, we need to break a few eggs in order to make that omelette of love. Very bad analogy. <laughs> Alright, so in verse 12, he asks us to rejoice in all be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
Um, and I like that because part of how we respond to each other's suffering is not just in the physical health, it's also it's also praying, it's also hoping, it's also um, uh, you know, sort of engaging with one another. Verse 15, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, rejoice with those who rejoice, with those who be. Emphasizing kindness, active solidarity. Um, God expects an eagerness amongst us to ease the suffering of others by providing whether it's financial assistance uh, or any other kind of assistance that we're meant to, to render. Um, he asks us to reject envy one another uh, and reject envy one another but actually um, and, and reject our self-centeredness um, and, and, and embrace the opportunity uh, to rejoice with people and that, that kind of I, I don't know if you've been there where you've been looking for something and that exactly you've been looking forward to happens to somebody else and um, you find yourself not being able to fully pick up the phone and say ah I had something wonderful you know congratulations Right, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, man, ah, oh, it's good, Shabbat. Yeah. <laughs> man, when will my own come? When, 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 when will my own come? Right, and God doesn't want that to be part of our experience. God doesn't want envy, which envy essentially calls into question God's love, God's justice. Like, I deserve it. Why, why should we give that person? And not, and not, and not, and not give me what I need. And we need to sort of. Let go of that. He asks us to live. He asks us to live in harmony with one another, um, to not be haughty, uh, but associate with people uh, who are lower classes. And you may think Nigeria doesn't have classes. We have classes, or we we created classes amongst ourselves, and so we should have to be willing to associate with people. And I love uh, verse 17 to the end. Now talks about dealing with hostility from others. So. In the previous verses, we talked we'll talk about uh, uh, the gospel has emphasized humility, kindness, uh, generosity, fervency, spirit, responding to one another, and that sort of assumes that you know we're all we all are happy with one another and are willing to treat each other well. But the last part of the verse goes above and beyond. This is what actually differentiates the gospel from any other philosophy of love, from any other religion. How we treat enemies? Enemy love is not part of any religion. There is no religion, other religion in the world that deals with loving your enemies the way the gospel does. The last part talks about hostility with others, and this emphasizes forgiveness. Forgiveness. There is no way you can build a community of love that we will not first acknowledge our own difference, but our own sinfulness. Our own sinfulness. We are oftentimes the um, the abrasive one, where oftentimes the reason why other people don't want to come to this community or your family community or your work, wherever it is, you know, especially in the church. So a lot of times it's our interactions will be said a careless word to someone who didn't uh, know it was careless. And so because we acknowledge us, because we know we are sinful, to build a community there's going to be lots and lots of repentance. Not just today, but every time going forward. Every time you know that you have offended or wronged someone, you have to repent. You have to have humility to go to the person you offended and say, I'm sorry. You know, I learned later on, I understood, or maybe I just reflected and it came to me. Or the person comes to you and say, I'm sorry, without minimizing your sin, without defending, deflecting, exaggerating, blaming, and all those things we talk about in, in, in gospel communities. 
There's going to be lots or lots of forgiveness. There's going to be lots and lots of uncomfortable moments where you're like, ah, oh, okay, I have to get out of my seat. I have to get into my car and drive and help the guy or the lady that has a flat tire somewhere. <coughs> there are going to be lots and lots of uncomfortable moments, but it's also going to be lots and lots of joyful moments. And those joyful moments, in my, from life's opinion and in my experience, counters a lot of the discomfort. To be able to lift our hearts to God and God commend you. Because when you don't, people are, so a lot of people think that it's not okay to say that good, you've done good. There are moments where you help people, you are flushed with a good feeling, right? You're flushed with a good feeling. And that's not a bad thing. It's not, it's only pride if you don't recognize that it's God that has worked with you to bring you to a place where you can respond to someone's need and the result, result is joyful. I think we can we can rejoice with ourselves, we can rejoice with our Savior for those opportunities, for those moments where we're able to be a blessing to the body of Christ. There is no solo encounter with the love of Christ. There is no solo encounter. Even if we met with the Lord individually, He birthed us into a community, into His body. Right? We're not, we're not, I mean, let's not get caught up in, we've talked about this before, the Western philosophy of individualism. Me, myself, and I. We're birthed into a community. Community is sometimes difficult. Community is sometimes abrasive. But God help us, we have the tools, we do have the tools to work ourselves into something that God can fashion and shape and will build something in which we are, our experience of community is radically different. Whereas we had rejection, whereas we had pain, we had angst, now it can be love and joyfulness. I'll close with uh, uh, a quote from Luther. It says, God did not give you your gifts for you to tickle yourself with them. That's Martin Luther, the great reformer. But for you to help your neighbor with them when he needs it, and thus by your strength to bear his weakness, by your piety and honor to cover up his sin and conceal his shame, as God through Christ has done for you and still does every day. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos